Welcome to the second episode of K9 Roll Call Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Ferguson. We hope that you have listened to our first episode. If not, be sure to go back and check that one out. It was a pretty cool episode with Lieutenant um, Gary Simpson of the ICE team talking about all kinds of stuff. I'm here with your co-host, Shana Parsno and Amber Vaughn. Today, we're going to be talking about planning training sessions. So, um, first I want to take a minute to sort of introduce everybody so you, as a listener, get to know each of us a little bit. Uh, again, I'm your host, Jason Ferguson, a former dog handler, canine unit supervisor. I was a SWAT operator for a number of years, uh, started my canine career officially in the 90s, been training dogs for about 30 years now. Um, I continue to teach at our school for dog trainers. I continue to teach and help with handler schools, uh, seminars, and a lot of the bigger conferences as well. So um, next up, Shana Parsnow. She's the director of Working Dog, a division here. And uh, she runs uh, a lot of our handler schools, works on the sales side, uh, and, and also does a shit ton of dog training uh, along the way, her and Amber Bow. So, Shana? Hi. Um, <laughs> I'm not one for... These kind of things. Um, getting used to it. Second episode. I'm going to try harder not to blank this time. Um, yeah, I've been at Highland Canine for going on six years now. Um, I've been primarily in the working dog division since I've been here. Um, had kind of a little bit of practice and some other things as well with pet dogs, some service dog stuff. Um, but working dogs definitely was my main focus. Um, me and Amber have been here for the same amount of time. We went through the School for Dog Trainers together. Um, class 44. We're now on, what, class 60... We're coming up on 70. Yeah, so we've been here for a while. Um, Enjoyed every minute of it and got to work with a lot of awesome people. Um, We average about 25 to 30 dog teams a year um, coming through handler schools. So pass it over to Amber. So like Shana said, I've been here for about going on six years. Um, I primarily work with the working dogs here at Highland, but I also do um, a lot of teaching for the School for Dog Trainers, and sometimes move around a little bit to different divisions of training, just depending on what's going on. Yeah, Amber's uh, a bit of our Swiss Army knife. I, I called her that one time. She got really pissed at me um, because she didn't understand what the, <laughs> what, the what the analogy meant. But, uh, yeah, she's a little bit of um, into everything, uh, service dog side, police dog side. But she uh, really focuses uh, on the working dog side. Um, she'd rather trail dogs than eat as anybody who's been through any of our programs know um so i, I get a lot of complaints about her because the handler's bitch that she won't let them go to lunch because they're still out trailing through the woods sometimes. well i always bring snacks so if people came prepared <laughs> they'd be fine i don't think it would be the same anymore <laughs> she's expecting now so she can't skip meals now <laughs> so today um Focus on. We want to focus on planning training sessions because we see um, this as a major sort of pitfall that creates a lot of issues for people. Um, we, we oftentimes get teams coming back to us or teams from other agencies or teams showing up at classes and seminars with issues and problems that we have to um, sort of take a look at and kind of identify what the problem is try to figure out where this problem developed for them and what a likely cause was and then create some sort of plan or solution for them. Um, We oftentimes see that these issues would not really be an issue if there had been a little better 
planning in some previous or early sessions. Uh, one of the big things that we harp on here uh, in handler schools, in our school for dog trainers, is have a plan. Every single session should have a plan. Um, we oftentimes go up and quiz people and say, hey, what's, you know, what's your plan here? And they go, well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not sure. Or I get, well, I'm just going to work the dog. Well, <laughs> that's, that's not really what we're talking about when we talk about planning sessions, right? One of the big things with planning sessions is to have an objective. And the, the only way for us to have a real clear objective is sort of understanding how dogs learn and, and being able to move them through the process effectively uh, to have the outcome that we want. And that's really sort of where we see uh, things kind of fall apart early on. I would say, like, especially in the canine world, there is ten, usually, a, like, a lot of harp on, like, how you should do things or why you should do things without the understanding of, like, what the dog is going to learn from that. So if you don't understand how dogs learn, how to efficiently train them, and how their brain works, you shouldn't really be setting up a training plan until you get there. Um, for anything that applies to trailing, that applies to detection, obedience, bite work. If you don't know how to make sure your dog is going to learn something productive, you're already kind of planning to fail with that session. Yeah, I don't know who said that one. <laughs> Failing to plan is planning to fail. Uh, but it's true. It's definitely true when it comes to um, dealing with dogs in general. I mean, really. Um, and, again, it's it's a area where... Um, we see uh, a lot of room for improvement. Definitely. And I think that going, even like it, if you're, it's your first dog and you're just starting out handling, doing some research, because there's a lot of information out there on even just like quadrants of operant conditioning and how those are applied, what dogs learn from them, um, different schedules to pay a dog, what that means, how they'll learn from those is all important. And even like there's a lot of good like, pet dog information even out there probably more than the police world as far as how to learn that stuff and if you take a little initiative to understand how all that works um, it'll be a lot easier to plan your training sessions and know how to make things productive across the board really and it's information that actually applies to dogs oh yeah not not primates yeah wrecking a slot machine yeah and there's a lot of um examples out there and a lot of, I think, training and theories that kind of come from, like, how people learn. It's super easy, I think, to take canines and assume they're learning the way that we would or assume they're uh, understanding around. Understanding it the way that we would, yeah. Yeah, when it's simply, like, if you don't understand how a dog's mind works, you're, not, you're already not set up well for anything. Not even obedience. You can't do obedience effectively if you don't understand what you're teaching the dog or how you're going to get them to understand what you want. Yeah, and it's sort of the analogy I use a lot of times is understanding applied dog behavior, understanding operant condition, and those quadrants, reinforcement schedules, all of that is um, the equivalent of basic math. If you're going to be a to, – to a dog trainer, that's the equivalent of learning basic math to a forensic accountant or, or learning basic propulsion to somebody who's going to be a rocket scientist. Um, you know, across the board we see trainers, um, handlers, even experts in the industry who – uh, either don't necessarily understand operant conditioning or misapply or misstate um, those quadrants uh, when speaking and, and trying to explain it to people. Um, a lot of handlers that you aren't even taught. 
you know, they don't, they need to go out and like, you know, like Amber said, there's a ton of information out there, you know, seek it, find it. Yeah. Don't just copy what somebody showed you to do. Make sure you understand what, why you're doing something and what the dog is learning from that. Because once again, if you cannot do that, you can't set up an effective training session for anything, whether it be in a group setting or individual. Yeah. And what people have to understand is, you know, when we look at operant conditioning, uh, and, and that sounds super, super, like, super nerdy term, but the reality of it is it's not. Uh, and we have to be able to understand it, and we have to be able to apply it, and we have to be able to apply it in real time in order to make sure that the dogs learn in the way we want them to. Because we see way too many times people out training, uh, and they're utilizing punishment with the intent to create a situation where the dog's going to continue in that behavior. And the reality is that's never going to happen. And we see... That's probably the most common one, I would say. Yeah, and we see reinforcement used to try to get rid of behaviors. And the reality is that's never going to happen either. Just because people don't understand it, right? The terminology itself really <laughs> really sort of screws people up. Uh, positive, negative, people look at that and always think good, bad. The reality is it, it doesn't mean that at all. No. And if you don't know what it means, definitely do some homework, look at it, understand... Uh, this because you're going to need this to build those solid training sessions and plan those things out and make sure that this dog has um, successful outcomes. And yeah. this doesn't always mean, you know, understanding this will help you fix problems. That's not even really what we're saying. We're saying understanding this is going to help you build good training sessions to build your dog to be better. And that'll honestly prevent creating issues because yeah. I think in my opinion, most issues in teams or in canine units um, is just not having a plan going into a session and then not having an idea of what they're going to actually have the dog learning. Um, and if you can't do that, you're never going to be make your dog stronger or, or your team stronger um, because each session should be trying to move that dog forward to sharpen their skills, to address issues, um, stuff like that, so that... Like I said, you keep getting your team stronger so they can be the best they can be. Yeah, every training session should be established in a way, planned out and established in a way that, A, challenges that team, and when I say challenges the team, both the handler and the dog, and creates uh, circumstances that likely lead to a successful outcome. It, it doesn't guarantee a successful outcome. If we're setting up training problems that guarantee a successful outcome, then we're not trying hard enough. Mm -hmm. We're really not trying hard enough. Um, so let's take a minute and sort of really sort of get down to the nuts and bolts of planning training sessions, right? So the first thing is we've got to really sort of realize that we need to take a little more time to plan these sessions. You know, we see the big one for me is detection. Whether it's an individual training or group training, you know, typically what's going to happen, somebody shows up with training aids at a designated location, whether it be a uh, car park where they've got a bunch of old old cars that are sitting there or they go to an old building that they have access to use all the old buildings yeah love the old old rusty buildings and uh and, and you know somebody goes in places training aid somewhere everybody goes back out to the car they shoot the shit for 20 minutes and then people start grabbing dogs and running them through the building i mean that we consistently see as maintenance training and the reality of it is, it's it's not great, and kind of stagnant. Well, it's, it, you got <laughs> you got that as an issue. Um, 
the other things that, that I see is there's no thought put into where these aids are being placed, what aids are being placed, how the aids are being placed, what distractors and controls are being used and placed in this, um, and, and how is that going to benefit those dog teams that are going to run that problem? And the reality of it is it's probably not going to benefit all of them. Yeah, especially when you're going back and you're using, like, the same building and the same places. Like, you've got a dog that you've had going and training there for four years. The dog's not learning anything. It knows exactly where you're probably going to put the aids. It might even it go, try to go so right predictable. to it. Yeah. So predictable. Um, and then another thing with that, too, if you're not intentionally stretching out how long your dog searches, how many blank rooms, how many blank cars they can do, and you're always just trying to get them a – a win or searching a hot car, hot room, you're going to create issues um, over time because the dog's not going to be learning to um, like increase the length of time they're willing to search. I would say that's probably one of the largest things we have issues brought to us from, you know, our handlers or outside handlers that come to us for help. Um, a lot of those dogs are either have an increased false rate, um, are getting frustrated quickly um, you know, stuff like that. And, and it does, it results from too many hides. The aid placement is too predictable. Um, and the handlers are not running enough blanks. And I think the dogs are just kind of at that point guessing because it's just so predictable. Well, not using enough detractors and controls and training. Exactly. Either. Yeah. So. That as well. But yeah, I mean, if, you know, again, challenge the team, create potential for a successful outcome, you know, I bring my dog in and I need to, you know, I've identified that high hides are an issue, right? So I need to work on high hides or maybe it's deep hides, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, and, and I set up a problem to, to work on that with my particular dog. That may not be what the brand new dog just out of handler school needs to work on. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at. But what we see is that brand new team's going to run it because that's what's out. That's what's out, and they don't want to say, hey, you know, look, I, this is probably not the best situation for my dog right now, right? I need to work up to this, or, um, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, it, and now, we're, now we've created an issue because this dog and this handler weren't prepared for it. Now we create an issue, and we know how that often goes in that uh, when we have problems, how do we fix problems? Well, we ask the next person standing near us, they tell us how somebody fixed it before. What worked for that dog doesn't now work for ours. We repeat the process. We go through the whole trial and error of fixing this issue. Handler's frustrated. Handler gets more frustrated. Dog gets super conflicted. And now all of a sudden, um, we haven't fixed our first issue, but we have created three more. Yeah. But if you are to go out when you're setting up problems and stuff and just setting up a training plan, I'd say the biggest thing that can be helpful is to have an intentional goal for what you're trying to work on, regardless of what that is. Definitely detection, but everything else, too. Like if you're going into, all right, we're going to work patrol work now, but you don't have a goal for what you want the dogs to learn while uh, clearing a building or while apprehending a decoy, um, whatever it may be. If you don't have a clear goal, you don't know, one, when that training session's over because you're just going to kind of put the dog up whenever everybody's tired or whatever you, without really accomplishing anything. Um, and you're not really going to have you're, – you're not going to know what you're looking for to make that dog stronger in that situation. Yeah, you need an objective. Yeah. Yeah, and that's – yeah, 
great point. You got to have an objective for every single session. If you don't have an objective, as you mentioned, you're not going to know when you've met it. As such, you're not going to know when to stop. You're going to get greedy. You're going to keep training. And now you're probably going to be counterproductive. Well, and if you don't have a goal and you go in and you don't know where dog's weak points are, like you were saying with um, the detection and you're just working the dog or your, your new dog, just like all the other ones that have been running the same scenarios for years, um, you're not benefiting that dog. Like every single dog should have its own goal, should have its own uh, weaknesses that need to get worked on. Um, and if you're not intentional with that, you're not, you're probably just going to make, create issues in the dog or just never progress their training. I think a lot of that comes down to communication within your training group, whether it be the handlers that you work with every day um, or, you know, an outside agency, whatever it may be. You know, people are not talking before. I mean, I would say detection is probably a great example. You could use the same for patrol. Um, but, you know, somebody is just going, like you said, going and putting hides out and nobody is speaking up and saying, hey, this is not what my dog needs. Or, you know, maybe I should just take a couple aids myself and just go somewhere else and do what's good for my dog. I mean, there I personally don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think that other people are going to care if you just do it. Um, but not speaking up for what your dog needs is part of your problem. Yeah, you got to advocate for that dog uh, as the handler. You're, you, it's your job. Nobody else is going to do it but you. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, and again, with with – Sometimes with group training and outside training, I'm not trying to discourage it. Um, no. It just make sure it's productive, right? Make sure it's beneficial for your dog. Otherwise, again, you're going to end up spending an entire day uh, in a counterproductive situation that's going to cr likely create issues that you're going to have to go back and fix. And, you know, it's just not worth the time. While we're talking about that real quick, I just want to uh, touch on decoys a little bit. Um I know we we're talking about detection, but just while you said that, it just brought up a good point of you're doing group training, you're doing outside training, you know, talk to your decoys before you send your dog in a building or into a bite scenario. Um, you know, make sure that they understand what they are working, um, you know, and again, that that training session is set up for success for that dog. Yeah, not every dog's necessarily going to need to get worked the exact same way in exact same situation. Exactly. With the exact same equipment. Yeah. And just assuming that every single dog is going to need like the exact same thing, then that tells me you don't have a goal or training plan for any of the dogs. Yeah. And trainers and decoys need to have a substantial amount of flexibility and be able to, not physical flexibility, but flexibility in how they approach each dog to make sure that, that you're going to end up with a successful, sort of successful outcome. Yeah, and then I think, too, and um, if you do see an issue in training, so maybe you have a goal or you're doing group training and you see a problem, there's no shame in not fixing it right then and there. Like, if you're not sure how to address it, um, I wouldn't say be in a hurry to guess and try things, but go back to, like, look at the successive approximations, what's going to increase or decrease the likelihood um, of that behavior continuing, depending on which one you want, um, and go back in with a plan when you've had time to think about it. Because there's no rush to just try to get a quick fix on But there issues. is. There always is. There's always this rush to make sure that when we have a problem, we fix it right now. And generally, any attempt at fixing the problem is just 
a slight modification on what you did before. What you did before, <laughs> which is likely to create the same problem or simply reinforce the problem, mm-hmm. right? And now, now you've made it worse by feeling as though you have to do something right now, and that's a mm-hmm. super duper important point. You don't have to do it right now. Yeah, um, and if your admin's breathing down your neck, you know tell them like, Hey, I'm going to do some research on this issue. I'm going to call my trainer. I'm going to call my master handler, whatever it may be. You know, I'm going to take some time to think about this. Um, and, and we'll get it fixed. Yeah. And stopping and reevaluating a training plan is probably the best option in that doing a slight variation might not address the issue depending on how severe it is. But if you can stop and just rework your training plan completely, um, and break down a little bit more for your dog so they can understand, you're going to move along much quicker, even if you have to do a few smaller, less exciting training sessions. Because mm-hmm. um, you're giving the dog an opportunity to actually learn something. Yeah, and there's no no crime in going backwards, right? Going back to basics, right? People look at stopping and and going back to basics as like the worst thing in the world. And the reality of it is it's not. You know, it's if, if you can't, you know, recall. Right? The recall is always an issue with people. Or the recall is consistently an issue with people. You know, if we can't get a dog to come to the handler consistently and reliably. Sure ain't coming back. <laughs> on the field with no distractions, there is no way in hell that dog is going to come back reliably when you put a high-value decoy out there on the field. It's not going to happen, you know. So it's 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 just not going to happen. So you know, backing up, working on some of those basics sometimes is what's best for that team on that day, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and and again, there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's and nothing. It doesn't wrong mean with the dog that. is useless or broken or doesn't always mean that. Just means well, you need to take a step back. <laughs> and um, like you were saying with the recall example, um, if you can't recall your dog when there's nothing going on and then you expect them to call off a decoy and then the dog doesn't come back and it's the dog's fault, so now we start punishing them super hard for trying to go and bite the decoy even though we've worked really hard to get them to bite the decoy, <laughs> you create a whole bunch of conflict in the dog's mind. And I honestly, I've seen a few dogs where I truly believe they don't know what a recall command even is without a decoy out there. And then when they don't come back, it's the dog's fault. Yeah. The dog was never properly taught from the beginning um, or the handler ruined the recall from the beginning by not reinforcing it properly. Um, and at that point, that's not on the dog. That's on the handler and on bad training. Yeah. And, you know, that one sort of goes, in my opinion, sort of hand in hand with uh, teaching the out uh, or maybe better working the out, which I want to talk about and talk about planning that training session, some of the problems we have with that right after the break. So be sure and stay with us. Um, We'll be right back. Royal Canin delivers precise nutritional solutions so your dog can perform at their very best level. The individual health of every dog is as unique as they are. However, these health needs are often characteristic of their size, breed, or lifestyle. Each individual recipe is formulated to deliver the exact level of natural antioxidants, vitamins, fiber, prebiotics, and minerals that are essential to your pet's unique health needs. Discover how Royal Canin products can help every pet enjoy its best health possible. 
to achieve a perfect balance of nutrients for each dog, they rely on an extensive network of canine experts across the globe, including veterinarians, universities, dog professionals, and their own research and development center in France. Royal Canin helps your dogs train and perform at their full potential. To learn more about Royal Canin, visit them on the web at royalcanin.com. Highland Canine Training offers affordable and proven dog training solutions to resolve even the most difficult of dog problems. Founded in 2006, Highland Canine Training also offers quality working dogs to meet the increasingly demanding requirements of today's military and law enforcement agencies. In addition, they offer first-class canine education programs at their school for dog trainers. So far, they've hosted students from over 30 different countries. The School for Dog Trainers offers affordable financing and accepts GI Bill and VA benefits. The Service Dog Training Division at Highland Canine Training develops and trains some of the best service dogs in the industry and offers worldwide delivery. Their commitment to customer service and support continues to set them apart from the competition and makes them a leader in the industry. Visit HighlandCanine.com or call 866-200-2207 to learn more and see the difference. And we're back. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, so we were talking about the out. Just wanted to take a minute with that. For those people who may believe that Malinois and imported German shepherds, duchies, and crosses from Europe are genetically hardwired to understand what your out command means, they're not. And it has to be taught. Um, we see a lot of dogs who were never taught the out. We simply force it. Yep. It's not, the dog doesn't understand the out. The dog understands that bad shit happens when you scream something and whatever's supposed to happen next doesn't happen. And it can really ruin a relationship, I think, between a dog and a handler because you're just teaching them that you're unpredictable or that you're predictably going to be unfair if they don't understand what you're asking. And there's nothing wrong with correcting a dog for not outing if in my opinion, they understand what the out means. And right. a lot of times it's like, oh, he's not outing. Uh, dog doesn't respect me like he should. Uh, this dog's an asshole. He doesn't out. He's stupid. Uh, yeah. He's trying to be in charge. Uh, there's 50,000 other reasons why. Um, but what we often find is the the main re- the real main reason why is because they don't understand what we're asking. So, yeah, never taught. Yeah, never had a plan to do that. Um, so, again, uh, planning sessions um want to take another minute there and and then maybe sort of talk about how to address some of these um problems in training and and redevelop plans and know when to stop that sort of thing but just planning training sessions as a whole uh when, when we're talking about planning a training session we're not talking about go grab the dog and start doing something we're talking about putting some thought into what our objective is what environment is going to help us do that. So where are we going to do the training? How are we going to do the training? What resources and tools are we going to use to accomplish this particular objective? What prior training has this dog had? What understanding do they have? What understanding do they have in the context right, of what we're trying to do? And then how do we get that dog from beginning to end in that particular session to meet that objective? Uh, so that we can, again, end on a good note. Everybody talks about ending on a good note. You know, what does that really mean, end on a good note? 
Um, ending on a good note for, for us, I think, a lot of times is meeting that particular objective in that session. Yep, and part of that's going to be making sure that your objective or goal for the session is a small enough leap that it's accomplishable in a short period of time. So if your dog, say, can't trail more than 100 meters, your objective should not be a 400-meter trail because that's probably going to be a little too far pushing your goal to hard on that dog and you're likely not going to be successful or reach your goal. Yeah, and if you've you know if you've never done building searches or you've only done a few building searches with this particular dog that's still in training, um, you know putting three suspects in or decoys in that building in various places, have one hiding a ceiling and one under a bed and one in a dryer is probably not uh, a reasonable right objective for that particular training session. Uh, understanding those approximations that are going to get us where we need to be. Uh, understanding, again, like you said, don't make this massive leap. You know, take it in smaller chunks, more consumable pieces for this dog so that they can understand it, apply it in the context, work in that environment, and, again, have a successful outcome. And I would say when it comes to successful outcomes too, um, if you have a goal you're trying to reach and you have a plan on how to do it, but you don't see any progress in working that plan – two or three times, I think it's really time to like stop and reevaluate your whole plan and start over and come up with something new um, so the dog can get there. Because you don't want to just try kind of beating a dead horse with a plan that's not working. And dogs are smart. If you have a well-thought-out plan, every session you should see progress. So if you hit, you're on like two to three sessions and you have made zero progress with your plan, it's probably time to kind of scrap that and come up with a new one, breaking down what needs to happen either differently or in smaller chunks so the dog's able to figure out what you want and move forward. Yeah, time to go back to the drawing board with this with this particular plan. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, as we, as we mentioned before, and, and I can't stress it enough, there is absolutely nothing wrong with pulling the chute, putting the brakes on, putting the dog up, Going back, taking a look at what has happened, and sitting down and making making a, a new plan if you need to, or at least reevaluating the old one. Um, this too, I think, is is and, and I'm just going to throw this in here. I think this a it's an excellent point on why detailed training records are so important for handlers. It gives us a really good roadmap of where we've been. It gives us an idea of what the dog's performance has been in a variety of training and operational situations and it gives us an idea of how how we can develop right a plan for each one of these sessions yeah and you can kind of expose the weak points so you know how to fix them and then if you do have some sort of massive issue show up in your training records you can have a roadmap in there of how it was fixed so it's not held against you later if you've got a dog uh, maybe falsing um, or walking odors stuff like that you can be it kind of a roadmap on how that problem was resolved through several training sessions with an efficient plan. Yeah, and if your training records are good enough, um, it, it oftentimes is incredibly obvious what the problem is, right? So sort of touching on how do we identify these problems in training. Training records and, and that historical roadmap is going to be a great way to do it. If you, over the last six months, you, you know, you've done 60 detection problems in six months, and every single time – you know, your dog's having issues with heroin. Probably a problem. <laughs> probably got a note of recognition issue there. We're probably going to have to go back to some sort of imprinting or do something different, right? If if you go back in those 60 sessions and you look at them 
and the problem is consistently with the aid being placed in a certain spot, right? The dog had an issue with a variety of odors, but they were always in this spot, right? We want to start looking at that. Um, or, you know, in a certain building or on a certain type of vehicle, right? Maybe maybe the dog does really well in detection on passenger cars, but when we get to commercial motor vehicles, it just throws them for a loop. And again, back to your point of taking small steps, you know, if we consistently train on smaller passenger vehicles, which we see a lot, right? And oftentimes it's those old dead cars in a, in a graveyard uh, somewhere, <laughs> that nobody cares if it gets scratched up or torn up. And now all of a sudden we're on the side of the interstate trying to get this dog to work a car big or change. a big truck, right? And we see it all the time. We see people working on these old dead static cars and the dog knocks it out of the park. Next thing you know, they're on the side of the interstate. They've got um, a vehicle that you know matches every description and every detail that there's something going on here. Um, and they're looking for a dog, and we get a dog out, and this dog has no idea what we're asking because it's never been presented this before. Uh, you know, again, we're asking too much, and that's that leap that's too big to be able to make. We've got cars whizzing by. We've got all sorts of noises, you know, all sorts of things going on, people throwing trash and food out on the side of the road. We've got all these distractors. Wind blowing. Wind's blowing in all sorts of different ways. And now all of a sudden the dog doesn't understand what we ask. Now we go up with our dog. The dog's giving us a completely different series of behaviors that we would normally get on those old dead cars. Now the handler's getting frustrated. Dog's getting conflicted. And this thing just goes to trash real quick. Right? I see the same thing across the board. Like if you're only out trailing like in an open field in nice weather what happens you need to follow a trail when it's pissing rain and there's got a whole bunch of road crossings at night yeah and when you maybe you've never trailed at night before because it's inconvenient for the handler um, or the trailer yeah and both of them uh, i mean you got to think you're not going to be trying to trail criminals that are going to make it easy for you you know i mean you've got to go through their wires you've got to deal with the creek crossings you've got to go with the pavement um and all that stuff because if you got in your training records every time your dog loses a trail is where there's some like briars involved, maybe it's water, uh, going into some sort of barrier. All that stuff can be addressed in training as well because it's not going to be um, like every single time in an open field, even though that's a, sure a lot easier to trail on. Or even worse, what I think we see more commonly is straight down trails. Uh, super easier just to go down a walking trail, have the dog follow it, and then all the dog figures out to just run along a trail till it finds somebody that's looking for, um, when realistically they're going to have to work, be able to work through those thick areas, um, in the dark, across pavement, a whole bunch of stuff without following something and making it easy for them. Or they leapfrog telephone pole to telephone pole. Yep. Any visual easy cue. Yeah, because... Too many people are consistently using those and training as landmarks to get their trail layer to go where they want them to. Now, all of a sudden, the dog just goes out and starts scanning for telephone poles. Yeah, or, or following tree lines is tree another lines. big one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, talk a minute, let's talk a minute about, you know, problems in training and, and developing plans for those. I think the first thing, the most important thing, is to identify what the problem is. Yeah, yeah it's not, and you can't chalk everything up to a bad day. 
like dogs are going to have bad days. Sometimes they just do something off. Maybe they're not feeling good. Like it happens. It's going to happen to everybody at some point. But they can't have a bad day every day. No. And if you're keeping detailed records, you should be able to see what's causing those things to happen. Um, You should be able to see like, okay, the dog never indicates for whatever reason when there's an odor on the front of the car or they're always going to lose it when we cut in deep into a tree line on a trail Um, or they're going to have a hard time finding a decoy in a building when they're laying down all that stuff or passive something like that Um, it's all stuff that if you're keeping detailed records you should start being able to track what's causing that to happen Um, and you can't blame the dog for being stupid for not to be figured out if you're not setting up a plan for the dog to learn it because they're not going to figure it out if you just keep throwing it at them over and over again without coming up with a plan to fix it and that's where stopping reevaluating and coming up with um, plans for specifically for those issues is going to be a game changer to get that dog to progress forward. Yeah, but again, you know, planning this thing out is going to be having a good plan for it's going to be incredibly difficult if we don't understand what the problem is. And I think that's probably the number one thing that we see is people make assumptions about what the problem is, or the dog didn't do X, right? So, um, you know, the dog didn't respond to odor in this situation well just run it again well if the dog doesn't respond a second time what do we do right we we run it again you know it's just like the call off or the recall we send the dog decoys 100 yards out we call the dog back and they don't come back they just nuke this decoy into the ground so easy what do we do we go up choke a dog off a little frustrated. We walk them back to the starting line. Do it and again. Send it again. Yeah, send them again. Call them back, and what happens? I just nuke a decoy even harder. <laughs> so at this point, we are reinforcing it. We are reinforcing exactly what we don't want them to do. Yeah. So, that, you know, this goes on and on and on until the handler gets pissed off, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're rummaging around in the trunk looking for that e-collar that they hadn't used since six months ago or a year ago when, you know, they were getting ready for research and they dig it out and they, you know, pray to the e-collar gods that this thing is still charged up. (laughs) Right. Sure enough, the light comes on, they go strap it on this dog. They send this dog again for the third time, you know, with no plan. They have no plan. The plan is to throw everything we can at this dog to make it recall. That's the only plan they have. So now they send the dog, it gets halfway there. They call it back. It doesn't come. It makes no indication that it's going to turn and burn. And what do they do? They cook it into the ground. And and oftentimes the dog fights through it, ends up smashing the decoy anyway. And again, we've reinforced it. And now we've we we have reinforced it, but but we we've not we've reinforced it on a completely different scale now. And the and the reason why I say that we've reinforced it on a completely different scale is is because pressure in in this particular example pressure from an e-collar that does not stop a behavior simply reinforces the behavior yeah you're just teaching the dog if they push hard enough if they fight through hard enough they still win they still get what they want we're Mm -hmm. selecting these dogs because they want to fight and they're willing to so if you're not careful with what you're teaching and what you're setting up you're just reinforcing something that's already in them which is the whole reason they've been selected to be a patrol dog from the beginning because that's in them. Yeah, so so now we, we've got a dog that <laughs> likes to fight who just learned that if I 
work a little harder, I can still get what I want. And what they want is to pummel, you know, this decoy into the ground. So what do we do next? Well, we go and choke them off. We take them back to the starting line, and we do it again. And and now we're we're you know if we were not at the highest level on the e collar, now we are. We cook them again. The dog screams. We know they're feeling it, and they just blast right through it again. So now we have really increased the level of reinforcement for a behavior we absolutely don't want, right? We want this dog to come back. But now we've created a situation where it's not likely to happen for some time without some massive intervention, right? If we know we've got a dog that's not going to call off, we need to establish a plan to start with. We need to create a good plan. One of the best ones I've ever seen is to have a decoy stand near a gate on a on a fence. We send the dog. Dog makes no indication it's going to turn and burn. What do we do? We just have the decoy drop inside that gate and shut it right behind them. Now the dog has no access to the decoy. They're not going to be able to push through anything and win. Um, that's one of many, many, you know, Techniques that we can use, environmentals we can use, et cetera, et cetera, to make this happen. But, you know, the dog has to understand, um, and we have to understand um, what our objective is. The objective is to get the dog to recall. You know, what the, the methods and strategies that are oftentimes used are not only going to not get them to recall, they're going to simply teach the dog to fight harder and harder and harder to end up getting what they want. And, and, again, I think that goes back to, A, sort of what we talked about in the beginning, understanding applied dog behavior, reinforcement, punishment, uh, being able to apply it, being able to create an effective plan uh, to get this thing done. And especially with, like, a recalls as an example, um, like we were saying, if you know your dog's not going to recall, you can't, like you can't have your dog off leash in your own backyard, there's no reason they're coming back from a decoy. So that's where you need to break down your plan even more on how do I get this dog to recall to me consistently when there's nothing going on. Yeah, and if you can't get it to recall at 30 feet, there's no way it's probably going to do it at 120 yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just not likely to it's not likely to to happen at all. Um, you know, again, understand what our problem is, right? Does this dog understand the recall. Do they understand the cue that we're given for the recall? Um, I've seen agencies, this sounds crazy, but I've it's happened more than once, agencies that use the same verbal cue for uh, a come command, a heel command. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Right? The, the recall and the out. Right? First, so four different that. behaviors, really, but they're using the exact same cue for it. Yeah. Yeah, the dog's never going to figure out what exactly you want. Because for me, in my opinion, I don't think the dog truly knows something unless you can, like, tell it a cue, and in its brain, it knows exactly what you want it to do, right? It's not going to know, oh, I want you to, like, put all these things together and figure out which one I want. The dog's never going to become really crisp and clean at anything because you're not being clear enough with your communication. Where if I have a different verbal cue for each one and I spend the time teaching the dog what each one means, I'm giving them the opportunity to put together um, exactly what I want 
just by breaking it down more and being really clear with my communication. And you see the same thing with like trailing and detection. People say use the same cues to find a person or find drugs. Um, but those are two completely different behaviors and completely different odors that they're looking for. And how they're going to work the problem is completely different. Um, so if I'm not cl- able to clearly tell my dog exactly what it's looking for, how can I expect them to um, do it to the best of their ability? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Real then good. you have the dogs that are just so confused that anytime the handler yells, they're coming off the bite. Yells anything. Yeah. Like or if yells the, anything, that's or, what I'm saying. Or even if the decoy yells. Yeah. You know, you get dogs that are popping off, right? You know, so how do we how do we identify these problems? How do we fix them? And and it takes, you know, it takes some some strategy. And, and it's it's not something that you know everybody just sort of gets. It takes practice. It yeah. takes work to to identify and understand what these training problems are and create effective plans to sort of resolve them. So you know, if you're and I really want to sort of make this point because I think it's important. If, if you're a, a younger handler or, or maybe a less experienced handler and you're training with other groups or training with other people and you have an issue and you go to some of your more experienced people or you go to a trainer and you say, hey, look, my dog's doing X. Do you have any advice on how to fix it? And they simply say, yeah, you need to do this. Pretty good chance you shouldn't do it. Yeah, if they're not asking any questions about it yeah. at all beforehand. Definitely <laughs> need some more details. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there needs to be a lot more detail given. You know, I, I've had handlers come to, to me uh, with issues. You, you guys have seen it, and you've, you've done it before, too. You know, hey, my dog is, is having this issue or having that issue. Um, I'm like, okay, go put the dog up. Let's go here. Let's go over here and, and sit down and let's 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 have a discussion because there's going to be uh, there's going to be an interview, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it. There's an interview starting because I'm gonna I'm gonna grill this handler on you know trying to understand when did this problem start? What does the problem look like? When was the first time you saw it? How does the problem present itself? What is the frequency of this issue? And, and I need all of that information in order to even begin to develop some sort of plan to resolve this and develop plans for sessions that are going to get this handler and dog back on track. Yeah, because if you haven't diagnosed why a dog is doing something, there's no guarantee the plan you came up with in five minutes is going to work. Like you're going to have to come up with an individual plan for that particular dog and that particular problem, um, not something that worked for one dog five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the trial and error days need to, need to stop. You know, they need to stop quick. And and again, we've got to have lots of information, and it needs to be solid info uh, to be able to get these issues sorted out and create again plans. Um, how do we know when to stop? Right? When when do we just say, "Hey, whoa, whoa, hold on, stop, <laughs> put the brakes on. This isn't going the way I need it to." I need to I need to reevaluate this. I think for sure anytime you're trying to run your dog on something um, and like there's moments when it just you can see the confusion in the dog like they're just not starting they're not going they're just walking the hide um, just trying again and again is not the solution if your doing dog is doing something super unusual um, or maybe you've seen them like pop off a bite for the first time ever. That's a time to stop and reevaluate why. 
because that dog's never happened before. So we need to look at why is the dog doing it now so we can address the issue and it doesn't start becoming a habit or a problem over time. Yeah, I think, dog, you know, to your point, sort of seeing some conflict in a dog or confusion is not always a bad thing, right? Just to clar- sort of clarify this, yeah. having them having them get confused or conflicted a bit in, in training, you know, and them having the ability to work through it, that yeah. confusion and conflict and come out on the other side, learning something from it is super, super important. You know, we do that all the time, but we're able we're able to do it because we've established this plan. We've mapped out this session with something that we really hadn't talked about yet that I think is super important, and that's contingencies, right? Most people, you know, may have some little bit of a plan, but they have no contingencies, right? Well, you know, I'm going to do this with the dog, and the dog's going to do X, Y, and Z. Well, what happens when the dog doesn't? What is what is our contingency? What is our next move if they don't, right? What happens when we put this dog in a situation where they're seeing some conflict, they're seeing some confusion, and they're not able to work through it on their own. How do we how do we have them learn something from it without us interfering in a way that they're going to start relying on us and we become a crutch? Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredibly important as well. Especially in bite work scenarios, I feel like. And trailing. Yeah, yeah. trailing and trailing and patrol functions, probably that type of training I think contingencies probably are super important, you know, especially, and again, going back to communication with a decoy and understanding, well, you know, this is what we're working on. This is what we want the dog to do. But if the dog doesn't, right, then what do we do next? And what we do next may be stop, take a breather, reevaluate. Yeah. You know, that may be, um, maybe what we need to do. Again, another thing that's up to the handler, you know, your dog doesn't, not showing what it needs to. You're working with other people. Say a decoy, you know, communicate. Communicate with that decoy. Or the trainer who the might trainer. be there and understand, yeah, understand what's best for your dog in this situation, what they understand, what they know, what their history is, and, you know, how they're likely to perceive this. Know if it's going to be productive for them. Yeah. And, and, and advocate for that particular dog. Um you know, there may be sessions that are just remarkable, but they're not going to be the best fit for your dog, and you need to know when to say, hey, not for me. Any parting words, issues? I think the biggest thing for me is um, – like do your homework on how your dog's going to learn. Cause like I said, I, I, I truly believe most of the problems that are created in dogs, either by the handler or the vendor before you get them is from lack of understanding the applied dog behavior. Um, and it's just something that's like not super talked about in the industry. And if it was, and if it was taught and we hammered it a lot more and focused more on um, like how these dogs are going to take the things that we do you're not going to end up with issues. And if you can stay ahead of it, um, it's going to be a lot easier than creating problems. Everybody wants to, you know, do the fun, cool, flashy stuff. And that's great. That's awesome. You know, getting there is, is another thing though. You know, you know, you got to build your dogs, got to know how to communicate with your dogs. You got to understand your dogs before you can get to that point. And I think that getting to that point is definitely something that I think the whole industry could, 
could use some some help with for sure. Yeah, if you can't get a dog to sit and recall, you probably shouldn't be fast roping out of helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants to. Everybody, you're right. Everybody wants to jump out of helicopters and do cool shit, and you know, which is great. <laughs> run around biting decoys with you know Roman kennels and pyrotechnics, and 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 that's all well and good. But the reality of it is, is you know, if you don't have the basics, the dog's simply gonna fall apart. Plain and simple, they're gonna fall apart. So. Um, Hopefully, you guys have had an opportunity to take something away from this discussion that that you can use moving forward. Uh, we encourage you to ask you know questions. Just visit us on social media, Canine Roll Call on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we definitely encourage you to to pose us with questions, uh, as Gary sort of suggested in the last episode, uh, or to give us give us stories and topics you want to hear about. Um, you know, again, our, our objective here is to create a, a podcast that's on some level educational we want to be able to give information that that can be used not to say that you know our way is the only way anybody who tells you that's a, a little off anyway so um again thanks for sticking with us and we hope you subscribe and tune in um for our next episode uh of canine roll call podcast and again thanks for being with us uh, we've enjoyed it <laughs>